Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, The Essence of the Gospel. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. This is a real honor for me to be here. I don't, it just wouldn't be Easter without being the Word of Faith Baptist Church. I tell you, I enjoy this. This is a super blessing. I really uh, enjoy coming to this church, I think, probably more than any other. I've got to make some super good friends, see God do a lot of things, and it's a real blessing to me. Before I get started, I know that there's some of you hadn't been here this week, so I would like to encourage you to look over here on this table and take advantage of some of the materials that we have over there. One of the things here is a mailing list card. If there's anybody who's not on our mailing list, if you'd fill out this little card and leave it with us, then we will put you on our mailing list, and that'll let you know some more about what's happening in the ministry. Also, we have some free sample of tapes over there. Any of the single tapes like this one are available. Are there any of those left? There's some left, and so anyway, you can take advantage of those. This is Jim Lisi. He's one of my employees, and he's been with me this week. been a great blessing. Ministered to the recovery group. He's got his own... <laughs> Praise the Lord. He's only been born again three and a half years and got his own television program. Has already been to Zimbabwe and held crusades over in Zimbabwe and just doing exploits for God. It's awesome what God's doing with him. And here is our tape catalog, and there's 350 different subjects available that you can request through this tape catalog, so please get that. These are free little booklets over there, Insights into Faith. These would be a blessing to you. I've got a lot of other things. I've got some of these albums like this. This one's on Spiritual Authority. And this is really a good teaching. If you haven't gotten this, I encourage you to get it. This is an area that most people don't have any revelation of. They're waiting on God to move, and God is waiting on you to move. God gave you authority and power, and it's not a matter of passively asking God to do things for us, but God gave you the power to heal the sick. Don't pray for God to heal the sick. You heal them in the name of the Lord. This is some powerful stuff in here. Six tapes, and this would really be a blessing to you. Who wants... Who needs this? Right there, Liz. Man, you got to be bold. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. See, you got to take the kingdom by force. Praise God. Let me also mention that we are uh, having a trip to Israel on November. I forget the exact dates. This just came up. Our UK uh, office has planned a trip from London to Israel, 10-day trip, and it's really going to be a great time. We're going to be sharing the Word of God in all of these places and, and, you know, sharing about what happened in these places. I believe it'll be a real blessing to people. And the U.K. office set it up, so it's a very good trip. It's only 600 pounds. That's the equivalent of $900 round trip from London for 10 days. And, of course, you've got to get to London, so you add another 600 to it, and it'd be $1,500 for about a two-week trip. And so that's really a good deal. And if any of you are interested in that, you need to contact our helpline uh, number or write our offices, and they'll give you some information about that. But some of you may be interested in that. Again, this week, I've been ministering on the subject of finances. I'm not going to be doing that this morning, but I just want to echo what John Charles was saying, that uh, this is the first time I've ever ministered six messages in a row on finances. I've actually only ministered on finances one message at a time just a few times. I really haven't taught on it a lot. And the Lord kind of got on my case that, you know, this was an important area in my life. I guarantee you, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing if God hadn't have prospered me. And yet I haven't been faithful to share it with other people for a lot of reasons. Number one reasons, because I feel like a lot of people abuse it so much, I didn't want to be put in that category. 
And so the Lord really spoke to me and told me that that's all the more reason why I ought to be ministering on it. If it's been abused, somebody needs to minister it uh, in a proper attitude. So that's what I've done this week, and I encourage you to get those tapes. It really will be a blessing to you and help you. This morning, I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 1, and I want to share something with you that should be familiar. This scripture should be familiar to every person in here. It probably isn't, but it should be. This is like a foundation scripture. And yet, I'm going to share some things with you that probably may be new to you. You know, the problem is we get so familiar with the Word of God, you don't know what it says. You get to where you take things for granted. But in Romans chapter 1, let's start reading with verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. And he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. As I said, this should be a familiar passage of Scripture for everybody. But uh, really, most people, I don't think, have a true revelation of what this is talking about. The word gospel has become a religious cliche, and people apply the word gospel basically to describe anything that has to do with religion. We apply that word to anything to do with religion, and yet that is not at all what the word gospel means. Before I get into what the gospel is, let me just define one other word here. When it says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation... Another misconception is that salvation is only talking about the forgiveness of sins. And that certainly is not true. Matter of fact, I believe this is one of the big disservices that have been done in the body of Christ is to talk about salvation and being saved as having your sins forgiven. And there's entire denominations that basically build the foundation of everything they believe and teach around this, that you need to get saved. And what they mean by that is you need to get born again and you need to have your sins forgiven. Well, certainly everybody needs to be born again and have your sins forgiven, but salvation is much, much more than just getting your sins forgiven. If that's all it was, that would be wonderful. And if that's all that God had provided, I'd accept it and be thankful for it. But praise God, there's more to it than that. As a matter of fact, the word used for salvation in the New Testament is sozo, S-O-Z-O, and that word literally means healing, deliverance, prosperity, and forgiveness of sins. And it's used that way in a lot of places. Like over in James chapter 5, it says that if any of you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church, let them anoint them with oil, praying over them, and the prayer of faith shall save sozo the sick. In that situation, it's talking about healing their bodies. So the word salvation means more than just forgiveness of sins. It literally means the healing of your body. It it is deliverance from demonic oppression and it's prosperity as well as forgiveness of sins. Now that's important that you understand that because when this scripture says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation... It isn't just talking about this as how you get born again. It's including that, but it's talking about that this is the way that you get healed. It's the way that you prosper. It's the way you get delivered. Anything that you need from God comes through the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. You could say this, that if you're sick, you've got a problem with the gospel. You could say this, if you're poor, you've got a problem understanding, appropriating the gospel. 
If you are under oppression, depression, discouragement, if Satan is dominating you and controlling you, you've got a problem with the gospel. If you're lost, you've got a problem with the gospel. And yet some of you are sitting there listening and saying, well, man, that's not true. I know what the gospel is. Well, do we really? A lot of people think that the gospel is preaching and telling people that there's a heaven and there's a hell and God's just and if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. That's not the gospel. Now, all of those things are true, but that is not the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. And you know what? It is not good news that there is hell and that you are going to hell. It's the truth, but it is not good news. Gospel means good news. So it's not the gospel just to tell a person that God exists and that if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. And let me go a step further and say something. Now, this will shock some of you. But it is not the gospel to tell a person that Jesus died for your sins so that you could go to heaven. And that if you will repent, you can receive salvation. Did you know that that is not the gospel? Now, that will shock some people because they think, now, wait a minute. I believe that is the gospel, understanding that Jesus came, died, and resurrected, and He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and He's offering salvation unto people. That is not the gospel. That's not good news. And this is the point that I'm really wanting to get across today. This is what religion has been preaching. This is what most of us have heard. We've heard facts about Jesus coming to the earth, dying and paying for the sins of the whole world, and now being the Savior. But where the gospel has been missed is in the way you obtain this. See, that's the whole crunch of the whole thing. Like, for instance, if I was to tell you that I had just deposited a million dollars in your bank account, well, that could be good news. Amen? Some of you could be excited about that, except if I said I deposited a million dollars in your bank account and to receive it, all you got to do is be good for one year. And you can't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. You've got to do this and this and this. And if I start putting restrictions on it, did you know that many of you, instead of this being good news that you got a million dollars in your bank account, it would actually turn out to be the worst thing that could have ever happened to you. You'd have been better off. You'd have said, you should have left me alone and not even have put it there and have aggravated me and got me all excited to put all of these restrictions on it so that I can't receive it. You can actually get angry and bitter and mad over something like that that, you know, could be good news, but if these restrictions are put on it, it just, you know you're going to fail. You know I'm not going to make it. What it could do, it could depress you, it could discourage you, and if you fail, the guilt, the condemnation that could come into your life would be worse than if you never had the money provided. Does everybody follow that? Well, see, this is what's happened with the way religion is presented the gospel. They have said that God came to the earth through Jesus. He died for your sins. He is now risen from the dead. There's churches all over this country today talking about the resurrection, saying a lot of the facts that are involved in the gospel. They're stating the truths, but where they're missing it is, is the way that they tell people to obtain it. Basically, they're telling you that if you will be good, if you will commit your life to the Lord, if you will do this, if you will do that, and they're putting all of the restrictions on what you must do to be able to obtain it. And actually, that's anti-gospel. That is opposite the gospel. Let me show you what the gospel literally is. Over in uh, Acts chapter 20, look at this. 
In Acts chapter 20, this is Paul on his last trip to Jerusalem. And he knew that he would never be back through Ephesus, so he called all of the pastors of Ephesus together, had a pastor's conference, and he was sharing with them, telling them about how he had been faithful to preach the gospel unto them and how he knew that persecutions and afflictions would await him in the 23rd verse. But in the 24th verse, he said this, But none of those things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, this is important. He says, I'm testifying the gospel, the good news about the grace of God. The gospel is specifically talking about the method of receiving everything that Jesus has done. It's not just telling people what Jesus did for them, but it's telling them, how do you take advantage of what Jesus did for you? And the way you take advantage of it is by grace. Grace is specifically emphasizing that it's not something that you work for, it's not something that you earn, it's not something that you deserve. You don't have to be worthy of grace. But grace is God, God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. And it's specifically talking about the gospel, the thing that is the power, the thing that draws people to God is not talking about just what Jesus did because religion is so polluted, everything. People in this United States today have heard the information about Jesus and what He's done, but along with it is always tacked on something about that you've got to quit living in sin, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and that basically negates the power that's in it. If you were to take the average lost man today, if you were to go out here on the street and just take somebody walking down the street and say, do you know who Jesus is? They could tell you who Jesus is. They've heard of Jesus. And if you say, well, why did He come to the earth? They could tell you why Jesus came to the earth. They'd tell you that He came and He died for our sins. And especially on Easter Sunday morning, if you were to ask somebody, what is this all about? They'd say, Jesus rose from the dead. They got the facts. But you know why there's no power released? You know why there isn't forgiveness in their life? Because Satan has confused the issue on the method of receiving this. And Satan is telling millions of people across this country today that the way you receive what God did for you is by being a good person. And they're preaching to people, you need to start coming to church so that you can receive what Jesus did. You need to quit dipping and chewing and you need to quit adultery and you need to quit all of this lying and stealing. And if you'll live right and if you'll be holy, God will move in your life. That is not grace. That's works. That's actually anti-gospel. It actually takes the power away from it. See, if you make you and your performance and the things that you must do to be able to receive from God, if you make that a part of the chain, then you become the weak link in the chain. Here's God's power, and God has power to heal, deliver, set free. God has power to do anything. But if your performance is necessary for all of these other things to work, then that makes it a weak link in the chain. You know, a chain is no stronger than its weakest link. And I can promise you, if you think that way, then what that means is that you will be talked out of receiving the power of God every time. And this is where the vast majority of people in the United States are. They understand about Jesus. They have heard about Jesus, but actually they're tormented. Because they think that the way that you obtain all of this is through being good and being moral, and their own conscience condemns them. Their own heart is telling them that they haven't lived up to it. And because of that, that's the reason that the gospel has not released its power. 
If people could not only hear that Jesus came to the earth, died for our sins, rose again, is seated at that right hand of the Father, but if they could hear the way that you get it is not through bartering with God and promising Him, I'll do better, I'll be better, God, I'll never do this again if you'll save me. If they'd get out of that mentality and instead they would understand that it's a gift that God so loved the world, that He forgave us, that God is offering you salvation. He's offering you right standing with Him. Not only in your born-again experience, but healing today can be yours. Not because you deserve it, but just because God is a good God. God just wants to give it to you. The only thing that is needed on our part is just belief. You just have to receive it by faith. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to perform. All you got to do is reach out and receive this gift of salvation. If people could understand that, I guarantee you, people would be born again today. I was sharing this in England the last couple of weeks, and I don't normally see a lot of people born again in my meetings. I'm a teacher, and I minister mainly to the body of Christ. But you know, as I got to sharing on this, there were some services I had a dozen people come forward and get born again, and dozens of people come forward and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because, see, they had heard about salvation before. But the thing that was missing was they always thought, well, would God do it for me? I know I'm not living holy enough, and nearly always people start looking to themselves and thinking that they have to do something to make God release that power. The only thing you have to do is receive. The only people that God will not move in your life are the people who are sitting there refusing His mercy and refusing His grace because of whatever reason. Some people refuse it because they're just God-haters, but there are a lot of people that refuse God's blessing in their life not because they don't desire it. Man, there's a lot of people that would desire God's blessing and power flowing in their life, but they refuse it because in their heart they just think, I know I'm not worthy. I know God could never do this for me. There's a lot of people that the reason they don't go to church is because they say, I just can't live it. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. If I'm going to go to hell, at least I'm going to be honest about it. Amen. And so instead of being a hypocrite and coming to church, they just go out there and live like the devil and, and be who they are. And, the, and it's not that they don't desire salvation. I can't understand why anybody would want to go to hell. I can't understand why anybody wouldn't want to receive the power of God. People want to receive it, but the thing that they're missing is they think that the emphasis has to be on what they do to earn God's power. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you that the gospel is not just information. It's not just what Jesus did for us, but the thing that empowers all of that and makes it come alive in your life is when you begin to realize that the way you receive it is that it's a gift. It is not something to be earned. It's not something to be obtained. It's just a gift to be received. Well, that's awesome. That is awesome. And like I said at the beginning of this, Salvation is not only forgiveness of sins. This applies to healing. It applies to deliverance. It applies to prosperity. It applies to all of these areas. You know, I've been teaching on prosperity this week. And this is important that you get this because a person could misunderstand the things that I'm saying. I've been talking about how important it is to start giving. God gives seed to sowers. And I've done a lot of emphasis on how you need to take a step of faith and you need to give. Some people get out of grace in this area and they start thinking, well, my giving makes God move. That's not so. Your giving doesn't make God move. It doesn't make God obligated to you. When people say, well, boy, I've given and God, you've got to give to me now. That is not grace. That's works again. And you know what that is? That is not the gospel and it will not release power for finances in your life. 
You don't obligate God to give, to move by your giving. The truth is that God, by grace, has already provided everything for you. God has already provided forgiveness of sins. Let's just take this example of forgiveness of sins because most people are more uh, correct in their thinking about the initial born-again experience than they are about other things. But when it comes to being born again, when you confess Jesus as your Lord, when you stand up and say, Jesus, I make you my Lord, and I believe in my heart you're raised from the dead, Jesus doesn't die for you at that moment. He doesn't come and die for you and, and release His power. The fact is, it has already been done. The Lord came 2,000 years ago, long before you ever had a need. It's a totally done deal. God, by grace, has provided your need before you ever needed anything. Amen? All your confession does, all your faith does, is receive what God has already provided. Faith does nothing except appropriate what God has already provided by grace. If God didn't already provide it by grace, your faith cannot make it happen. Now that's an important statement. See, some people misunderstand this and they get into this realm of where they start thinking that my faith moves God. You'll hear testimonies like this. Faith moves God. That man, when I went out here and when I confessed 500 times by His stripes I'm healed, then God moved. And so they go out and tell other people, if you'll just confess 500 times by His stripes I'm healed, then God will heal you. And people get what come away with the attitude of, I can literally twist God's arm. I don't know why God isn't prone to heal me the first time, but if I just keep having it, if I keep praying, if I keep badgering God, eventually I can make God do what I want Him to do. That is not good theology. That is uh, ignorance gone to seed, to think that you can force God to do anything. God does not move because you did something. It is not when you cry out to Him that He sends Jesus to die for your sins. He died for your sins before you ever were born, before you ever committed sins. God made the provision before you had the need. It's already provided. All your faith does is reach out, appropriate, and receive what God by grace has already provided. But it's important to recognize it's not just up to God to provide. God, by grace, has provided salvation for every person. Y'all aware of that? Scripture says that in uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. You know, there's a lot in that verse. There's a lot of people that wonder about, what about the people in the darkest corner of Africa that have never heard the gospel? How's God going to deal with them? Did you know that God's grace that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. There is not a person that's ever walked on the face of the earth that hadn't had a revelation of God's grace. It's true. Some of you think, well, some people hadn't heard about Jesus. God has revealed it unto them. Romans chapter 1. Well, matter of fact, are you in Romans chapter 1? That's the last place I had you turn. Well, turn back to Romans chapter 1. Look in verse 17 and 18. We read verse 17. See, right after he talked about the grace of God, this is such a strong statement saying that it's the goodness, it's the grace of God, that the old legalistic Jew says this can't be so. You've got to be holy. You've got to do something. Man, people have to, have to be convicted about what they've got to do. They've got to be aware of their sin. Look what he says in the next verse. In other words, it's the goodness of God that releases the power of God, not the wrath, because the wrath of God is revealed. It's already revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. 
For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Man, what a strong Scripture. This Scripture is saying that God has put an intuitive knowledge on the inside of every person that has ever walked on the face of the earth. Sometimes you'll hear people say, I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic, and it is not true. It is a mind game. They are into a mental thing. They can actually convince themselves to a degree, but I promise you they have to fight against the conviction of God on the inside of them. The truth is that God has put an intuitive knowledge on the inside of every person who has ever breathed that God exists, and not only the fact that He exists, but it says here, even His eternal power and Godhead. People have a revelation of God. You can go into any culture in the world and everybody, it doesn't matter how remote they are, have a concept of God. And if you go on through the rest of this chapter and read it, he, he talks about that there was a progression away from this intuitive revelation of God. And people got to where they took the knowledge that there was a God and they began to change it into idols and fall down and worship beasts and animals and things like this, which God never intended. But even that reflects that originally there was this intuitive knowledge of God on the inside of every person. Person. There is no such thing as a true atheist or a true agnostic. When I was in Vietnam, I had people tell me they were atheists. And guess what? When the bombs got to flow and the bullets got to flying, these atheists were screaming out to God at the top of their lungs. They were even screaming out to Jesus. Jesus saved me and Jesus helped me. I guarantee you, you put enough pressure on a person, it is a lie that they say there is no God. Those... Did you know that Voltaire, the guy who was the famous atheist that did a lot to come against Christianity and stuff, Voltaire on his deathbed was crying out to God for mercy. Darwin on his deathbed spent the last day just in terror saying, God, forgive me. God, forgive me for the things that he had done. I guarantee you, people come face to face with God and you'll find out that there is no atheist. There are no atheists in foxholes. There are no atheists, amen, after death. They all know the truth. <laughs> so the point that I'm making is that, see, there's this intuitive knowledge of right and wrong on the inside of every person. You don't have to condemn people. You don't have to tell people how sorry they are. People have this intuitive knowledge, and the fact is most people, most people know in their heart that they are unworthy to stand before God. Most people are not out proclaiming their own goodness, and it's not the fact that most people are saying, I'm, I'm good enough, I don't need God. Nobody has that attitude that I know of. I've heard some testimonies, but I've never met a person, and I've talked to thousands, maybe millions of people about the gospel. I have never met a person yet that really saw themselves worthy of standing in the presence of God. And this intuitive knowledge of God, actually, Satan plays upon that to say, sure, Jesus came to this earth, and sure, Jesus died for the sins of the world, or sure, Jesus can heal today, or sure, Jesus can deliver, etc. But what makes you think it'll work for you? Because you aren't worthy. And the thing that breaks that is the gospel, the grace of God. The grace of God, understanding that God moves in your life not because you deserve it, not because you are worthy of it. Well, I tell you, that releases power in your life. You know the only thing that ever held you in bondage was sin? 
The only thing that can hold you back is sin. The only thing that Satan can use in your life is sin. The truth is, Satan doesn't come at you and tell you that God doesn't have power to heal, deliver, or prosper. There's probably not a person in here that believes that. If you do, then you got drugged here by some fanatic. But I can guarantee you, those of you that come to these kind of churches, amen, if you're in this kind of a church, you're here because you're a stark, raving, mad fanatic, or you were drugged by somebody who was. Amen. That's true. You believe in the power of God. Satan couldn't come to you and say, God doesn't have power to heal. You wouldn't believe that. You know, we've seen people, we've seen uh, blind eyes open this week. We had a little boy here who was blind. And his blind eye was open. There was a man here who couldn't see this clock. And we prayed. And I mean, within just a few moments, he was able to tell us down to the exact minute what time it was. We've seen miracles happen right here in this place this week. Most of you believe that. Man, you would fight for that. Most of you, if you were out there at a job and somebody started saying God doesn't do miracles, you'd get up and argue over the thing. You believe that God does miracles. That's not the problem. But I can guarantee you there's many people who believe God does miracles who need a miracle in their life and they don't have the power. They don't have the power manifest in their life to see that miracle. There are some of you believe it's God's will to heal and yet you've got sickness or you're dying of sickness or you know somebody else it is and it seems like that they're... You believe it, but where's the power to release it? There's many of you believe in prosperity, and you believe that it's God's will to prosper. You receive it when somebody testifies about it, but where's the power for you to prosper? There are many of you believe that God said that you can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, all of these things. You believe that those things exist. You may see it in somebody else and say, I know that it's God. I know that God has power. But how do you get it? Well, see, the problem is that most people are trying to appropriate it through something that they do. And that's why there's no power release. That's why you aren't being able to obtain, because you just are convicted by your own conscience. Satan comes to you and says, sure, God can do it, but what makes you think God is willing to do it for you? And so you won't let yourself believe. You won't just totally abandon yourself and believe without any fear or reservation that I know God's going to do it because you feel unworthy. Well, see, that is anti-gospel. That is totally contrary to what the true gospel is. The true gospel means that God moves in your life independent of your performance, independent of what you deserve. It's by grace. Another scripture that goes along with this is over in uh, Galatians chapter 1. Look at this passage. This is still the same man, the Apostle Paul, talking. Well, Galatians is a powerful book. I got a brand new series out on the subject of Galatians. It'd really be good if you got it. But in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Notice in verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the grace of Christ unto another gospel. In this instance, he's using the word gospel and grace interchangeably. See, the gospel of God is not just the information. It's not just what Jesus did. If you take what Jesus did and extract from it that you've got to do something to earn it, then you have not preached the gospel. The gospel is not being preached in the United States. 
I've heard people say all my life that, man, nobody in America should, should hear the gospel twice until everybody in the world has had the opportunity to hear it once. And the point that they're trying to make is that we ought to be missions-minded instead of trying to... I've heard before that 90% of all of the preachers in the world and 90-something percent of all of the money spent in the world is spent in the United States on the gospel and only 5 to 10% outside. And yet, it's exactly opposite. There's only about 10% of the Christians in the world in the United States, and 90% of the unbelievers are outside. So people talk about how we need to put our efforts into evangelizing outside, and I agree with that. I spend time going overseas. But I'm making this point that America hasn't heard the gospel. America has heard facts. They know who Jesus is, and they know what Jesus did, but they have been told that the only way to receive it is to clean up your act and live holy. And unless you're holy, you can't be a Christian. That your actions determine whether or not you become a Christian, and that you've got to be holy, and if you don't do this, God won't accept you. That is not the gospel. As a matter of fact, that's actually the opposite of the gospel. And it actually inoculates people against the true gospel because it had been better if people had never heard about Jesus than to hear about it and hear what he did and think that they know what it's all about and but immediately fall into the, the thing. The moment you say that, do you know the Lord or you start witnessing to him, immediately they think, I know what this is all about. And then they say, no way, I can't live up to it. They reject your stand. They start feeling condemnation. They start feeling guilt because they've tried this before and they weren't worthy. They couldn't live up to it. And immediately they turn you off. People are turning off the guilt, the condemnation, the way that facts have been presented. But the truth is that the gospel isn't just what Jesus did for you, but specifically it's the method by which you receive it. It's grace. And he says, I marvel that you're moved away from the gospel, the grace of Christ, unto another gospel. In verse 7, he says, it's not really another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Did you know that the way Christianity has presented the quote-unquote gospel is a perversion of the gospel? It's perversion. Man, those are some strong statements. But brothers and sisters, that's the reason people aren't seeing power manifest in their life. They think, well, I know what the Bible says. I know what the gospel is. I know that Jesus died for my sins. I know that Jesus bought healing for me. And they say, I know that. Why aren't I healed? Because just knowing that Jesus died to produce healing for you is not the gospel. It's specifically talking about how do you receive that healing. It's just by receiving it. By faith. It's just by saying, Father, thank you that you love me so much. I believe that you have died to heal me. That by your stripes I was healed, that it's a gift, and that you will do it for me regardless of what I've done. See, most people don't look at it that way. I know I mentioned this before, but I've had people come up in my prayer lines, and man, constantly they'll say things like, Why hadn't God healed me? I fast, I pray, I study the Word, I pay my tithes, I go to church, and immediately they start naming to me all of the things that they've done and relating that to why hasn't God moved in my life. And the reason God hasn't moved in your life is because you didn't tell me what Jesus did for you. You told me what you've been doing for Jesus. And that's what most people do. Most people's attention is constantly focused on them. I know I've said this before, but it's good. Amen. So I'll say it again. <laughs> that if I was to call on you and say, you know, somebody just fell over dead. I've seen people raised from the dead. I've seen two people raised from the dead. I personally know over 38 people who have been raised from the dead. One guy in Salt Lake City raised eight people from the dead. Two in one service. <laughs> that was awesome. 
had a guy die on the back row. Church was so dead that they came in and carried out half the church before they found a dead man. But he raised two guys from the dead in one service. I've seen a lot of people raised from the dead. Most of you say, well, praise God, I believe that. I believe those kind of things can happen. And if somebody fell over dead, I say, how many of you believe God can raise them from the dead? Well, most of you would be right in there. Amen, brother. And I say, I'm going to pray for him. God's going to raise this person from the dead. Boy, I guarantee you'd get up here close. You'd want to be seeing this. But you know where I'd lose you? It's not the fact that you doubt God can do it or you even doubt that I could do it. But I say, all right, if you believe it, you come pray for him. And all of a sudden, some of you that had no doubts before would all of a sudden have a flood of doubts come over you. Why? What are you doubting? You aren't doubting that God can heal. You're doubting His willingness to heal when it comes to you. And you know why? You doubt He'll flow through you more than you doubt He'll flow through me. It's because you know you better than you know me. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. But see, you are you know yourself and you know all of the rotten things and you do not feel worthy of seeing somebody raised from the dead. The truth is, nobody is worthy of seeing somebody raised from the dead. You don't get it because of your worthiness. You get it because you know how to put faith in a Savior. You get it because of grace, not because you deserve it. And see, the only weapon that Satan has against you, he cannot come and say, Jesus can't raise somebody from the dead. Man, he's barking up the wrong tree. That's just wrong. He would be foolish to try and convince people in here that God doesn't have power. That's not where you are struggling. You don't doubt God's power. What you doubt is God's willingness to use His power because you don't feel worthy of God's blessing in your life. Satan, that's what he's using on you. He's coming against you with thoughts of your unworthiness and of your failure. And that's where Satan is keeping people in bondage. There are multitudes of people in the United States that have heard about God and heard about Jesus and they know that forgiveness exists and that it's available. They are talking today about Jesus coming and dying for their sins and resurrecting, but they, it'll just go in one ear and out the other. It won't release the power because they will say, I'm just not worthy. I can't live it. I could never quit you know, carousing. I could never quit my drinking. I could never quit my smoking. I could never quit my cussing. And they will not let God's power flow through them, not because they don't believe it exists, but because they don't feel worthy. And that's how Satan is keeping people in bondage. The gospel is not just information about what Jesus has done for you, but rather it's specifically specifying the way you receive what Jesus did for you, the grace of God. And that's where people are missing it, because they don't understand the grace of God. They feel that God's movement in their life, God's power in their life is tied directly to their actions. And man, that's a shame. Do you know there's churches all over this city today that I guarantee you will be up telling the great truths, the facts of the gospel, and then turn right around and say, are you worthy? Have you sinned? Have you done something wrong this week? Are you studying the Word enough? Have you done this? Have you done this? Were you baptized just the right way? <laughs> Amen. Do you go to our church or are you going... And they'll put so many restrictions on it that these great truths of what God has done for us and provided will just be totally negated, not because what He's done was inadequate, but because we are inadequate and we just can't believe that God can move in my life because I know I'm not what I should be. And sad to say, religion is the greatest perpetrator 
of this teaching that you've got to be good, you've got to earn God's favor. It ought to be just the opposite. The gospel is to tell people that God loves you just like you are, you sorry thing. God loves you just like you are, regardless if you're in sin, regardless if you're living in adultery, regardless of what you've done, God loves you and God wants to move in your life. And religion just can't handle that. Religion will say, no, if you say things like that, you're going to get people living in adultery to come forward and get saved and get... You're going to have somebody living in adultery come forward and get healed. That can't happen. It sure can. Amen. I had these two guys from um, Augusta, Georgia that came to our meetings this week. They left yesterday, but they were sharing their testimony with me. And this guy, Jay, had been a drug addict, I think, for 23 years. Do you remember, Jim? I think it was 23 years that he was a drug addict. Had been through a marriage. It, had, it was a devastating thing what happened in his life. But anyway, he knew that there was a God, but the problem was he thought that he had to be worthy of all of this. And it's a long story, but finally God just, I mean, in his truck as he was driving down the road, hit him with the love of God. Says it literally lifted him up off of the seat and he became overwhelmed with the fact that God Almighty loved him. I mean, right in the midst of his dope addiction and everything else. And guess what? He stayed a dope addict for nine months. And some people say, oh, I can't believe that. If he'd have really been touched by God, he'd have just been set free instantly. Well, I believe that that is available and that a person can receive it that way. But you know what? It doesn't always happen that way. It took him nine months. And finally, he struggled. He fought. He was so condemned. He felt, God, how could I be doing this now that I know that you love me? And finally, it's a long story, but the Lord showed him. He says, you're trying to break it. Says, Jay, you don't have the power to break this. Says, you've got to let me do it. And finally, this guy began to start saying, Father, even though I'm a doper, you love me. And he started taking dope. And as he was taking the dope, say, God, I know you love me, even though I'm shooting up this dope. And you know what? Within a very short period of time of doing that, the love of God has so changed his life that he said he didn't want it anymore. He didn't need it anymore. And he got set free. Now, is this advocating people taking dope? No, because it's stupid. Amen. I tell you, the dope isn't what you're smoking. It's the smoker. Amen. But God loves you, stupid. And if a person could really believe the gospel and say that God loves me even though I'm doing this and say, Father, thank you that you love me even though I'm living in sin. You know what? If you could receive that love, the love of Christ would constrain you is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. You'd find out that the love of Christ would cause you to start living holier accidentally than you ever have on purpose before. The love of Christ would cause you to start living holy. But see, religion is basically, the way that religion has got people to live holy is to say, if you don't do right, God won't bless you. They tie God's love, God's acceptance, God's blessing to your performance, and that becomes a motivator. And it makes people do the right things. Like with the tithe. You can make people give. If you say, if you don't tithe, God's wrath is coming upon you. You're cursed with the curse. If you missed my teaching on Friday or Thursday or sometime this week, I ministered on that. I hadn't got time to go back through it. But they'll misuse Malachi chapter 3. And they'll say, you're cursed with the curse if you don't tithe. You know what that'll do? That'll cause some people to give. But 
it will not release the power of God in your life. And the Scripture says fear has torment. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. He that fears is not made perfect in love. There are many people that the reason they are serving God... There's probably some of you that the reason you're here on Easter Sunday morning is because of fear. You know that you should be in church. You know you should do better than what you're doing. And you only go twice a year on Easter and on Christmas. And I'm not out to get you. Amen. I'm glad you're here. I'm not criticizing you, but I'm saying there's people that come to church on Easter out of fear, out of a sense that if I don't do it, man, I've got to at least go twice a year, and you're doing it out of debt and out of obligation. The Bible says fear has torment. Your relationship with God is tormented. You don't feel the pleasure and the love and the acceptance of God. You come here and it's like, you know, you're, you're trying to bribe God, pay Him off. God, stay off my case for another six months. See, I'm in church. <laughs> I went to church. Here's my giving receipt. See, I even put something in the offering. In other words, we purchased. We bought something. That kind of attitude will not give you confidence with God. It won't give you boldness with God. It'll torment you. It'll make you feel like, oh man, how could God ever love me? And you'll always come up short. You need to get into it. The reason that you come to church isn't because God makes you. It's because you love God and you love God's people and you want to be here to change your thinking. Going to church changes your heart towards God. It doesn't change God's heart towards you. Paying your tithes does not change God's heart towards you. It does not make God more willing to bless you. It's just like I was saying about salvation. Salvation's already a done deal. All you got to do is receive it. God has already commanded the prosperity upon you. Every born-again Christian, God has already commanded that you prosper. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might be made rich. God has already died to produce prosperity and, and blessing in your life. He's commanded a blessing upon you. But you have to receive it by faith. It doesn't just happen automatically. God has purchased it, but you have to allow it to come. And the sad fact is, most of us won't allow God to bless us because we don't feel worthy of it. In my life, you've got to answer my prayer. All of those attitudes are anti-gospel. It actually is sapping the power out of the gospel. And it is not releasing the life of God. Man, we've got to turn it around and recognize that God loves us independent of us. God loves us because God is love, not because you are lovely. Amen? See, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And I'm convinced that there's a lot of people that if they really understood what I'm talking about, they would receive salvation as a gift, but they just feel like, I'd, I could never pay enough. I could never earn it. They're so discouraged. They're so despairing. Like, man, I could never be like you church people. I could never be good enough. And so they just don't try. They'd rather be honest rather than be a hypocrite. And the good news is that you're right. You can't earn it. So quit trying. Just receive it as a gift. Just let God love you. Let God save you. Let God heal you. Let God deliver you and prosper you. Not because you deserve it. Not because you've earned it. But just because God is a good God. And God wants to bless you. Man, the love of God is so infinite. It's so great. We limit God. Psalms chapter 78 verse 41 says that in their heart they turned back unto Egypt and they limited the Holy One of Israel. We limit God. We won't let God love us. 
Psalms chapter 35, verse 27 says, Let God be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. The understood subject of that sentence is, You let God be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. We're the ones that stop God. God has a perfect plan for every person in here. God wants you to be saved. Saved means more than forgiveness of sins. It means healed, delivered, prospered. Every area of your life, God wants every person in here to just have joy unspeakable and full of glory. God did not make us to be miserable. God did not make us to be stressed out. God didn't make us to be fearful and anxious and all of these problems that people are living under. God has a perfect plan for your life. Perfect plan. But you know what? You have to receive by faith. You have to let God be magnified. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be holy enough. But you do have to humble yourself and quit trying to earn it. Quit trying to be good. You have to just let God's grace and God's mercy flow unto you. And I tell you, if you'll do that, again, God will clean you up. Amen? We try and, catch our, we try and clean our fish before we catch them. We tell people, clean up and God will accept you. Man, you first of all, catch them. Amen. And say, receive it by grace. And then once they start understanding how good God is and how much God loves them, why would somebody want to go live in sin when you could fellowship with God Almighty? And they're mutually exclusive. But you know, if you were really fellowshipping with the Lord, it will drive sin out of your life. Because, man, I mean, God's holiness, His nature will begin to flow through you. Instead of you being as mean as a snake and bitter and angry towards everybody, you'll just begin to start reflecting the love and the goodness and the mercy of God if you hang around Him. You really will. You'll find out that it's better to walk in peace than it is to walk in strife. It'll come. But you know what? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. 1 Samuel 16:7 says that. And we are so concerned about the outer appearance. We want people to look good. You know, there was a friend of mine in Chicago that started preaching the true gospel like this, preaching grace. And uh, after he started preaching, his elders came to him and said, Man, if you preach this, people are going to go live in sin. You're going to give people a license to sin. And he told him, he says, they're doing pretty good without a license. (laughs) But anyway, they said, you're going to start living in sin if you preach this. And you know what happened? Sure enough. The next Sunday, the deacons were standing outside smoking right in front of the church. And some of these elders came up and said, See, here's the deacon smoking right here in front of the church. See what you did? And he says, Did I make anybody who wasn't smoking start smoking? And you know, they they had to say no. And he says, You know, all that's happened is they've come out of the closet. They're now doing right in front of the church what they used to do at home. And Heinz says, have I made anybody sin? Have I made anybody do anything? They had to say no. And he says, you know what? That's a step to freedom is when they quit trying to hide things and sneak around. He says, at least they aren't condemned anymore. But you know what? Most people would would rather say, you're supposed to look holy while you're at church. Go out and live like the devil other times. But when you come to church, man, at least look good. Man, God's smarter than that. God is sharper than that. God knows what you did last night. 
God knows where you are. He knows everything about you. And I don't care how much you clean up. I don't care how you clean up on Sunday morning. God knows everything about you. And you know what? I believe God would be more pleased with somebody that was just honest and open than He is with a lot of hypocrites. Hypocrisy is the only thing Jesus ever rebuked in the Bible. He would take a woman taken in the very act of adultery and didn't give any condemnation to her. But you know the ones He condemned? Matthew, the 23rd chapter, is the strongest chapter in the Bible of Jesus rebuking people. And He says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. The only people He ever rebuked were religious people who look good on the outside, but He says, Inside you're full of dead man's bones. You're like a whited sepulcher painted on the outside, and inside you're full of dead man's bones. Brothers and sisters, God knows what's in your heart. God loves us in spite of who we are. And it you may find that there's some people that who receive the grace of God who go sin, but I can tell you what, there's people that receive the wrath of God and the guilt and the condemnation of God that go sin. <laughs> Amen. Grace does not make a person sin. Now, you will sin if you receive grace, but you'll sin anyway. But you know what? Grace will start breaking that bondage over you and if you ever really understand how much God loves you and get into that, the love of God will constrain you to start living holy. It really will. I believe that people ought to live holy, but for what purpose? So that God will love them? No, you live holy because God already loves you. And man, you just love Him so much you want to spend all of your time with Him. And He doesn't live in sin. So the more time you spend with Him, you'll find out the holier you get. And you don't want Satan to have any inroad into your life. Satan is the one who lives in sin, and so you don't want a fellowship with the devil. And eventually, if a person really understands how much God loves them, it'll get them off of drugs, it'll get them off of sex, it'll get them off of everything else if they really understand the grace of God. Amen? I had a woman come to one of our uh, churches that I pastored, and I led this lady to the Lord. Her and her husband had been living in a nudist colony for three years. And they had just come out of this, and we met them at a city park and um, witnessed to them. We had a church picnic, like you're having next Sunday. And we were out there, and here was this couple. They, they were living in their pickup, had a little three-year-old girl. And uh, so we witnessed to them. And anyway, the lady got born again, and it was great. Everybody in the church was really excited about it, and it was a good deal. But she, <laughs> she came to church wearing a halter top and short shorts. That's all that she had. She didn't have a dress. And so that's the way she came to church. And I mean, we met five times a week, and we sat in a semicircle. We didn't sit like this. Y'all sat, we sat in a semicircle. So everybody was watching this lady in this short short and this halter top. And she was well endowed. And I mean, it was uh, something else. Man, I preached a lot looking down like this at my Bible. And you know what? Some of the... Some of the uh, Pentecostal ladies in our church and others, oh man, they were having a time with this. They were really having a time. And people came to me, and don't you think you ought to say something to Donna about the way she's dressing? And I said, did we say anything to her about the way she's dressed when we told her about how to get born again? Did we tell her she had to put on a dress and had to clean up and straighten up before she got born again? And they said, no. And I said, and so now that she's born again, all of a sudden we changed the rules and, and God loved her before the way she was, but now He won't love her if she's dressed that way? I said, I'm not going to tell them that. I'm not going to tell them any of this stuff. I said, God, it's God's business. God will deal with her. I said, right now she believes God loves her and she's excited about it. And why should I come in and tell her God's not pleased with you unless you cover up? And so I let her come to church like that, half naked. 
And you know what? She just did that for, I don't know, a few weeks, not very long. And one day she was in a Bible study. My wife was teaching. And in this Bible study, she asked for prayer. And she says, you know, I have never owned a dress in all of my life. And she says, would y'all pray with me that God would give me enough money so that I could get a dress? <laughs> and I mean, within a half hour after that Bible study, this woman had a dozen dresses. Amen. <laughs> I mean, everybody gave her a dress, praise God. And she got covered up, and she straightened out, and guess what? She never knew that God was displeased with her, because He wasn't. God loved her. And you know what? We didn't have to condemn her to get her to straighten up and start acting a certain way. Man, if we'd just give people a little slack and recognize that, hey, we're at different levels and stuff... You know, there was a woman in uh, Phoenix that came up, and she had just gotten born again two months before I came to Phoenix. And when I got up and preached, man, she got so excited over this grace and over the fact that God loved her. She was thrilled, and she came up and got up in front of the whole group. There was about four or 500 people there, and she wanted to testify. And I gave her the mic, and every other word was profanity. She cussed, she blasted, and did this and that, and everybody is just looking at her. Sometimes they'd laugh, and she'd look at me, and she says, Is something wrong? And I said, Not a thing. I said, Just go on. And here she was, testifying for the Lord, just using profanity all of the time. Some people wonder, Oh, man, that couldn't have been God. You know what? It just takes a while for some people to recognize what they're doing. You give her some time. Matter of fact, that, that was a year and a half ago. I was just back in uh, February. And you know what? She was just totally changed. Matter of fact, she had realized what she had done, gone back and listened to the tape. And I mean, she was embarrassed. And You know what? God straightened her up. But you know what? Some people think, Oh, man, how terrible that is. I believe God was up there laughing. <laughs> I believe the Lord thought that was funny. You know what the Lord thinks is pathetic is the religious stuff that we do. That's what God gets upset over. Is those that stand up here and say, Man, I've been fasting and praying and I'm holy and God's going to bless me. Those are the ones that want to make God throw up. Man, the fact that anybody thinks that they could earn God's favor by praying and reading the Bible and doing something to atone for all of the junk that we've done. You can't do anything to make up for what you've done. There isn't anything you can do. You could live holy from now on. You could never, never sin again and still never make up for all of the things that have gone on in the past. It's foolishness. It's hypocrisy to think that you could ever obtain unto somehow or another being good enough for God to love you. God loves you because He's love. Amen. And we just have to receive it by grace. That's the power in the gospel. And if you understand that, then God's power will begin to flow. You'll see more power manifest when you understand grace than you ever will by trying to live under performance. Everybody receive that? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you for grace. Father, we thank You for the gospel, for the power that's in the gospel, the fact that no longer is anything we've ever done is it able to stop your power? That where sin abound, grace did abound greater. Father, we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you for those that are living lives in here that are, that are sinful. Father, all of us have things in our life that we've failed you in. I just thank you, Father, that there's not a one of us, nobody in here, that is uh, separated from your power 
It's available to all of us on the basis of grace. I ask you to help people, Father, to humble themselves and to receive that grace today. Father, to receive your gospel, your power, and let it work salvation in them, whether it's being born again or delivered or prospered. Father, set free in any area of our life, healed. We believe that your gospel is flowing, Father, and bringing deliverance unto people. And Father, you're causing people to turn from their own self and trusting in their own goodness and just receiving from you as a gift. Father, I thank you. And we believe, Father, that you are doing that. We thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I want to ask today, there's probably some people here that you've never understood what the gospel really is. You've understood that Jesus existed, that he came to this earth, that he died for sins. You may have known all of the uh, principles that I've talked about. Maybe you've even been a leader in church. You've considered yourself to be a good person. But I'm convinced there's some people here that have probably never put your faith in the grace of God. You're trying to earn what Jesus has done instead of receive it as a gift. There are some of you that if you stood before God right now and if He says, what makes you worthy? Why should I let you into heaven? You would start pointing to what you've done. You say, well, I was a good person. I did this instead of pointing to a Savior. And you know, if that's your attitude, I hate to say it, but you would go straight to hell even though you may have been a good person. You might have been a better person than I am. But God isn't going to accept anybody because of your goodness the gospel is that you get in because of the mercy and the grace of God. He's already made provision for your sins, and you just have to receive it as a gift. So you may be a very religious person, or you might be a totally unreligious person. But if you are trusting in yourself, or if you are refusing to release faith in a Savior because you feel unworthy, then this is for you today. The gospel can set you free. Amen. It's the power of God unto salvation. All he said that you have to do in Romans 10:9 is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead and you shall be saved. You just have to acknowledge that He is Lord, that He is the one that saves, not you. And then believe in your heart that He comes and lives in you. And if you can do that, the Bible says you shall be saved. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's exactly that simple. Is there anybody here today that would say, that's me, and today I want to receive that salvation? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I can pray with you and you can be born again. Anybody? Anyone? I know you're here. Why would anybody want to go to hell? Is that you, brother? You aren't just going to raise your hand. You're coming forward. Awesome. Anybody else? Man, he's bold. Anybody else now that's been encouraged since he's come forward? Praise God. Boy, this is a blessing. I don't know why anybody ought to be begged to come forward. We aren't asking you to get the plague. We're asking you to come receive salvation. What a blessing. What a blessing. Man, I tell you, this is so good it makes me want to get saved again. But you can't get born again again. I'm already born again. You ready to get born again, brother? You understand what I was talking about today? Praise God. God loves you, brother. It doesn't matter what you've done or hadn't done. God loves you and He's wanting to forgive you just because of Jesus. You believe that? 
I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'm going to say the words that you need to say. And if you'll just repeat them after me and mean it in your heart, you'll be born again. Okay? Let's everybody pray so that he's not just praying it by himself. Say, Father, Father I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. I believe Jesus died for my sin. And I receive that forgiveness now. And I receive that forgiveness now. I make Jesus the Lord of my life. I make Jesus the Lord of my life. I believe that He rose from the dead. I believe that He rose from the dead. And that He now comes and lives in me. And now come and live in me. I am saved. I am saved. Right now. Right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's awesome, brother. Thank you, Jesus. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.